Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your power, for your sovereignty. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have overcome. Lord, you said that when you be lifted up, you'll draw all people to yourself. Thank you that your death and your resurrection have made a way for us to know God. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that as we are in your presence, you'll guide us and teach us in truth. You'll call us to trust you more, treasure you more, honor you more. You'll encourage us from the word today that no matter what goes on in our life, you have already overcome. Speak to us in the word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Good morning. Let's take our Bible. Let's go to the book of Ruth. Week four in the book of Ruth. While you're flipping there, I uh, showed up at a wedding last night and Ben Wimpegler showed up in a golf cart to pick me up. Somebody was riding in the front, so I had to hop on the back. So we kind of had a moment of intense prayer that not, not only would it not break, it wouldn't shut down, but I don't know, I think Ben and Shelby, y'all both ate, there was a groom's cake yesterday. Can I just slip in a testimony this morning? Everybody should have a layer of cookie dough in a wedding cake. I'm not talking about a layer of cookie dough. I'm talking about a, a layer of cookie dough, right, y'all? Second heaven yesterday. Not third heaven, but we got to the second heaven yesterday. It was, it was absolutely good stuff, but I feel like... Ruth chapter 2, and, and Justin, uh, I'm going to spend today on it. Justin's going to spend next week on it. The next few weeks we're going to take in chapters 2 and 3, we're going to spend two weeks in each. And uh, I feel like when just reading through what we've got to get to in two weeks, it's like cookie dough cake. I mean, it is thick. There is a lot here. And what I want you to do is over the next two weeks, you see, we need to enjoy the Word of God. Am I the only one that thinks that? We, we need to enjoy God's word. When we read the testimony of how God has been faithful to his covenant people, it may cause you to rest and sleep and be at peace a little more. And when we read through this book of Ruth now, it hadn't been any enjoyment. I mean, we got two women going back. One's never been to Israel before. The other one's going back. She's going back, Naomi, to a place of emptiness and bitterness. We saw last week how she was basically blaming God for evil in her life. But the page turns. And chapter 2 over these next two weeks is going to be where in our darkest, deepest despair, we find out he's still on the throne. He's still at work. And so let's go to chapter 2. I want to take you back to the last verse of chapter 1 because you're going to see this story in chapter 2 come full circle. With permission, I would like to read all of chapter 2 this morning, okay? Is that, is that cool? So when we get in the middle of it, don't grunt at me, but Ruth chapter 2, we're going to read 122, so the last verse of chapter 1, and then we're going to read all of chapter 2. Keep in mind, this is two parts. We'll cover this this week and next. Ruth chapter 1, verse 22 and following. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. 
Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, underline that, we'll come back to that. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to, the, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about 22 liters of barley, about six gallons. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I have worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz. Notice what it says. Gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God. When I was in seminary studying Hebrew, 
which I'm still studying Hebrew, never arrived yet. We did our Hebrew exegesis class on Ruth. So we were literally interacting with the Hebrew text and I was going back and looking and I'd circled two words at the end of chapter two. And they were in this last verse. I went back and looked, I circled the word barley and I circled the word wheat. We haven't told you this yet. Justin mentioned it in passing last week, but you got to understand the book of Ruth is very special in the life of Israel. There were five books, the five scrolls, the Jews called them the Megaloth, Song of Solomon, Esther, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, and Ruth, and they would be read at special moments of the year, one for each special moment. Ruth was always read around Pentecost in June, late May, early June. So when the Jewish calendar came around and Pentecost was celebrated, this book was read particularly because we find it happening now. So how cool is it that we literally can put ourselves in the text? This is happening right where we are on our calendar. But what's really awesome is the barley harvest was Passover. The wheat harvest was Pentecost. And so our story this morning happens the same type of year we have, but for us Christians, we can immediately identify with this text and say, wow, something's going on more than just simply a woman, a man, a mother-in-law, and a field. Now, we'll save that toward the end, but I just wanted you to, to see that we start at the end of chapter one, at the beginning of the barley harvest, and we finish at the end of the wheat harvest. Let's walk through the story this morning. First truth we see under the story is instantly we have a new character who is introduced. His name is Boaz. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, it mentions a man named Boaz, and then immediately in verse 2, we go back to Ruth the Moabite and Naomi. So when you're reading the story, you're like, okay, who is Boaz? What, why are we introducing a new character? What's going on with this guy? Because we just dropped his name, and there's a little hint of him. There's a little 30-second visualization of this guy, and then guess what? We're back to Ruth and Naomi. The readers of this book would begin to be intrigued and say, who's Boaz? What's going on with him? But notice a few things we find out about him. It says here, I'm reading out the ESV, it says that he was a worthy man. Now the Hebrew there is, speaks of might. It's the same word that's used of Gideon, where he's a mighty man of valor. And many times in the Old Testament, it was used as somebody who was a warrior, somebody that went off and, and destroyed other people. Um, that was their job. And so you think of Samson, and you think of just a mighty man here. But in the story of Ruth, Boaz is not, he doesn't wield a sword. He doesn't fight other people. So when it's not speaking of like military might, it's speaking of somebody in this way. He's a man that is respected. He's a man that is distinguished from everyone else. We read about him in a few moments. He's got employees. He's got land. And so I want you to, to think of Boaz. He's introduced this way. He's well-known. He's not unknown. He's, he's well-known in his community. He's well-off. He's got property and employees, but he's also, and this is more important, he is well-respected. He's popular, he's got property, but he's got personal 
character. That is what this word means. He was a worthy man, a mighty man. He might not have biceps that are 20 inches around or 25 inches around, but his interior character is even greater than what a physical mighty man might be. That's the type of guy that we're introduced to. Just so you know, because this is where it gets really good in a few minutes, his name literally means in him there is strength. Now, some variations of the name Boaz could even come about if you stretch it out a little bit and you put it to the Lord, it could be this is one who trusts in the strength of the Lord. So in him is strength, that's what his name literally means, but it could basically allude to the fact that he understands his strength, his character, his abilities don't come from within himself, they've been given by God, and so he rests in who God is. So this one word tells us a ton about this dude named Boaz. We also find out that he is related to Naomi. He's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. He's not a brother. He's not maybe a first cousin, but he would show up and eat, you know, family reunion food with you. He'd eat cookie dough cake. Okay. That's just an idea. Throwing that out again. I don't know why I'm infatuated with that this morning, but there it is. Okay. So he's a guy that he, he's, he's not immediate. He may not show up to your house on Christmas morning, but you see him and you know, that's my kin. This is how he is presented. So we have a new character named Boaz, but immediately, like I said, the, the story shifts back to Ruth and Naomi. Verse 2, Ruth, now notice here, even though she's living in Israel, what is she called? Ruth the Moabite. They're still distinguishing. <laughs> they, they still, who, who is this woman? Oh, that's that idol worshiper, worship Chemosh. And, oh, wow, she's come back with Naomi, and maybe she's an emotional drain, and Naomi's complaining about her life, and God did this. So this Moabite is still attached to her. It's reminding us that Ruth is a foreigner. But notice what Ruth says. She says, hey, Naomi, can I go out and glean in the field? And so what we find secondly in the story is that Ruth decides to work. Really good, huh? She doesn't whine and complain and moan and gripe in her situation. They poke. They're not poor, they poke. They, they come back. They don't have men in their life. And, and Justin mentioned this last week. And, and it's amazing that we don't see anyone coming to their aid, really, right? We, we don't see people bringing food. We don't see casserole dishes in their kitchen. We don't see the neighborhood responding. And it's almost as if Naomi, where we left her last week, she's sitting in her pity party corner and she's complaining. So Ruth says, I'll get up and do something about it. She doesn't criticize Naomi, but she says, let me, release me. Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Why would she think like that? A couple verses for you to write down in your notes. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. And Deuteronomy Verse 24, 19 through 21. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21. The Levitical, uh, the Leviticus passage in Levitical law, it basically said when you go to harvest, don't go all the way to the edge. Don't go every single corner and get everything. Leave the corners of your field so that the poor and the sojourner, the foreign, the alien can be provided for. In Deuteronomy, it said that if you drop a sheaf in the field, don't go back and pick it up, leave it for someone else to get. So there was provision. Isn't this really good? This idea that if you want to eat, you should work. Incentive 
New Testament says it, right? We're complaining why everything's going up. Well, if you incentivize people not to work, guess what? We sinners, we don't want to do that. And so here, in it amazing, built into the Levitical law, there is a measure of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God says, I'm going to provide, and I'm going to help, and I want you to be benevolent and compassionate at the same time. Get off your tail and go grab it. So Ruth, isn't it amazing that Naomi, Naomi the Israelite isn't taking advantage of this, and she may be a little older, and so we don't want to throw her under the bus, but Ruth is the one that says, okay, I'll go do it. So what does Naomi say in verse 2? Go, my daughter. You still kind of see, go, my daughter, go. Mara, the bitter one, go, my daughter. So she went out, and she went, and she gleaned in the field. And we, we find out that she worked all morning, even before we, there was a conversation where she shows up in a random field and says, can I please glean? And the overseer said, yeah, sure, go do that. And we find out that she had been working all morning. So we're introduced to this guy named Boaz, who's a mighty man. He's interior uh, character. He's, he's, a, he's portrayed as a man who is not like other men. He's well-known. He's well-off. And then all of a sudden, Ruth says, I'm going to go work. And I would encourage each one of us that the sovereign circumstances that we may find ourselves in are no place for us to go and get in a corner and never do anything about. Now, grace is not you pick up yourself by your bootstraps. That leads to self-righteousness. But there is a measure in the scripture that we are responsible, that our response to circumstances is to trust the Lord. And it seems as if Ruth, even in her early faith, she is responding this way. Well, guess what? She goes to a random field, and here he comes. Boaz shows up, and we find him in verse 4. Now, this is a pretty funny passage of Scripture. He shows up, and he says, the Lord be with you. Now, he's the boss, and typically when the boss shows up, the employees should, in, in fact, respect the boss. And isn't it funny? Here he goes, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. I don't know if they were doing that because they had to or because they wanted to, but it, it's kind of funny there. But isn't this cool? I heard this from, from Alistair Begg listening through him preach through the book of Ruth. I thought this is cool. Check this out. Boaz didn't leave God's presence at his house. He took God's presence with him to the field. That's good. No matter where I am, I'm in God's presence. No matter where I am, God's with me. So there's no dividing line in, in our lives between sacred and secular. I can watch a baseball game and eat a hot dog for the glory of God. Maybe two. Three borderline, but two, yeah. I won't go back to cookie dough ice cream. All right, anyway. I, I, can, I can stand up and, and open God's word and teach it for the glory of God. I can hang out with my kid this afternoon, and I don't have one, but you do. That was in that, 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 that way. You can go fishing with your kid this afternoon. You can play golf for the glory of God. Whatever we do, guess what we're doing? We are in God's presence. Man, that would just change our life if we thought that way. This is the kind of dude he is. And so he comes to the field, and he takes notice. And I think this is where we see the third aspect of the story. Boaz cares for Ruth. Boaz cares for Ruth. We find him noticing Ruth. He, 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 he doesn't say, who is this young woman? It's properly translated, whose is this young woman? Who does she belong to? Where did she come? So we see Boaz noticing Ruth. And then we see Boaz speaking to Ruth, and he starts really showing her kindness. 
We'll get into that more of that in just a second. But I want you to see Boaz is helping her. He blesses her. I've heard about you. You're the one. You're that. You're the girl that everybody talked about that came, left Moab, left her family, left her country, and you're taking care of Naomi. Wow, she's not out here. You're out here. So Boaz is is doing that. Boaz also says, "I'm I'm going to provide for you." And and then he kind of comes to his after this conversation, he kind of slips up behind his uh, workers and he says, "Listen, I know the law says that y'all just supposed to, you know, if you drop one, leave it." Just do this, intentionally drop sheaves. Help her out. They have lunch in the middle of the day. He, she, he sees her standing off to the side, and so he calls her near, and she was standing off because she's a Moabite, probably abiding by, you know, cultural custom, but he says, you come here. And then it's really interesting. I just want you to notice this in verse 14. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. Like he personally, he didn't say, give her some of that employee. No, he did that. Now you wonder why Boaz hasn't showed up earlier than this moment. After all, he's a third cousin, second cousin, wherever we want to decide family line. But you wonder, and and you almost have to not probe too deep in that question and just rest in the fact that God desired it to be this way. But it's almost as if Boaz says, oh, wow, yeah, Naomi is my relative, and so I will show compassion for this girl. So he notices her. He speaks to her. He tells her not to go anywhere else. He commends her. May God bless you for taking care of your mother-in-law. He gives her food, and then we find in verse 17 that she goes back with almost six gallons of wheat. This is about six gallons. You would put this on a donkey, but she's the one running into people. Can't find her way. She makes it back. So the last aspect of this story, we see her returning to Naomi, and she's sharing what's happened in the field. A couple things to notice here. Naomi asks, where? Where did you glean today? And she's just, it's kind of like our expression. What? Where in the world did you go today? Because you're not supposed to be bringing back all this food. What, what happened? Where, where were you? Where did you go? And I think it's very awesome that Ruth doesn't say, I went down this street and this field and this section and this parcel. She, she, she doesn't emphasize the where, she emphasized the who. Did you see that? Not the name of the field that I went to. Verse 19, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And then we see for the first time, Naomi lights up. Light bulb starts going off. Boaz? 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 God has not forsaken. That's the verse we got the series from right there. There it is. This man is a close relative of ours. He's, he's even one of our redeemers. And then he goes, baby, you just stay there. It's going to be okay. And so we see coming out of the bitterness and the darkness and the despair of chapter one, something's starting to flicker in Naomi. 
Something's starting to light up. And then the way this chapter ends is that they settle down for this six or seven weeks between the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And this is what Naomi and Ruth did. They got into a routine. Ruth would go out. She would work under the protection and provision of Boaz. They would come back and they would have food. So that's the story and a few things to notice about that. Let's jump into our truth part. So what we're trying to do is to teach the story, but we want to pull out truth because it's important. Now, remember at the beginning of this series, Justin said that we, we haven't got there yet, but the, the theme of this book is redemption. And we're going to get to that in chapter three. Chapter three is going to be fun. You don't want to miss chapter three weeks. But to get to chapter three and to get to redemption, Justin laid out for us two big words that involve redemption, sovereignty and kindness. What go into the idea of redemption are sovereignty and kindness. And what I mean by that is we defined it this way. Kindness is God's desire to redeem. Like God actually cares. But... The sovereignty aspect is that God just doesn't desire to do something. Well, I, I really would like to buy you lunch, but I ain't got nothing in my wallet, you know? Or I'd like to fix that situation, but I can't. God is not only desiring to redeem, praise God, he's powerful enough to accomplish redemption. And what you see is before you get to the redemption, you start seeing the fact that in chapter two, we got sovereignty and we got kindness going on. Let's look at the sovereignty first. I want you to see, I want you to see God's sovereignty in the events of chapter two. Now, I think there's a sovereign aspect in Ruth's desire to work in the field. God stirred her up. Now, what's amazing about the book of Ruth is that we're just kind of like watching it through horizontal levels. This isn't like, you know, we have in other places like top down and the Lord moved upon the king and the Lord spoke to the king and the Lord did this and the Lord. We're just kind of like looking at it through like real time. We don't know how the end of the story goes. And so at the time, guess what's happening? Ruth's like, I need to go work. We need to eat. There's nothing in the pantry. But looking back on it, we can see God's sovereignty in moving upon Ruth and saying, God didn't show up with a neon sign saying, this is God, go work. It's not happening. But looking back on it, God is moving her to work. Why? Here, sovereignty in the coincidence, in quotes, the coincidence of Ruth gleaning in Boaz's field. Go back to verse four or verse three. So she set, set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers in the word I told you to underline. She, what? Happened. The Hebrew literally says she chanced upon her chance. By a stroke of good luck. That's literally what the Hebrew says. She chanced her chance of good luck and what? happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, this is crazy. She got up. She said, bye-bye, my in law I'll see you at dusk. She goes down the road. She makes a couple turns. She says, oh, that looks like a nice field. Let me go into that field. There's a lot of people in that field. The barley's kind of tall in that field. This looks like a nice place. She had no knowledge of whose field it belonged to. She had no knowledge of what was going on in that field. She may have been a little uh, scared. What are they going to do? Are they going to call me a, a bad name? Are they going to put an adjective in front of Moabite and run me off? Like, what are they going to do? 
turns out her walking down the road, making a few turns, she shows up and it just so happens to be the field that belongs to this mighty, well-off, well-known, well-respected, personal character, man of integrity named Boaz. Sovereignty. Now notice God didn't pick her up and say, come here, little darling, you just sit there and then let me just drop you. Ruth got up. Ruth walked down the road. Along the way, she sweated. In the field, she worked. And notice she was there half a day until she even discovered there was a dude named Boaz. Sovereignty. That at the time, y'all, it may look like God ain't working, but let me tell you what he's working. But notice even more, there was sovereignty in the coincidence of Boaz not only owning the field, but being a kinsman redeemer. We find out at the end of chapter two, one of our redeemers. What's that mean? In the Levitical law, just in the Mosaic law, let me give you the exact reference if you want to take notes. This is Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 through 10. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 5 through 10. If, If you were an older brother and you married and you didn't have children, and you died, and you had younger brothers who weren't married. This seems like really awkward and weird for us, but this was in the law. The younger brother would marry the widow in honor of his brother, and the reason was they did not want a name, a family to die out in Israel. Every family mattered to the Lord, right? And so they wanted the family line to be perpetuated. And so what they would have is they would have this redeemer. They would not only come in and and continue the family line, they would redeem that wife, they would redeem that family line, they would redeem the property, whatever belonged to the older brother would come to the younger brother now that he is taking the place of his brother. That was called leveret marriage. Here, the reason why Naomi gets so crunk at the end of chapter two for the first time in the book, and she's like, you got food? And you got food from Boaz? Do you know who he is? He's one of our redeemers. He's one of the men that can legally replace your husband, Malon, and bring and make things right. But what? Ruth just got up, walked down the road, took a couple turns. That's a nice field. Let me go to that field. They look maybe halfway nice. Let me go there. And what was happening was God had already prepared a field, and God had already prepared a charitable man, and God had already provided someone for Ruth even before she even knew his name. Sovereignty. What's our our truth here? Even when we cannot see God at work, he is working to accomplish his purposes. You ever been there? You ever thought, been been like the Naomi of chapter one? God is dead. He doesn't care. He's not at work. He has left me alone. And then one day you got up and you took a couple turns and you walked into a field and by the end of chapter two, everything's making sense because God's still always been on his throne. You need to hear that this morning. Your world can spiral out of control and yet God is on his throne. We're talking this week, a couple of my friends, we were driving in the car for an hour and a half and we were talking about the problem of evil. God's so good and so sovereign, why does evil exist? Do you really want evil to be done away with at this moment? 
You know why God allows evil to exist? Because of his mercy? Because he's long-suffering? And if God were to end all evil right now, some of you would be consumed because your heart has not yet been changed by Jesus, and God is giving you time to repent and believe the gospel. It's the mercy of God that allows evil. But you know what? One day, he's going to come back, and he's going to be He's going to finish it all. He's going to make it all right. But he's sovereign and he's working. And even when he doesn't seem like he's working, he's working. I'm reminded about the great poem by William Cowper, who himself dealt with depression. Listen to what he says. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. God's sovereign. He's working. We just don't see God's sovereignty here. We see his kindness. And there's three ways in which we see kindness going on here. We see at the beginning of the chapter, Ruth being kind to Naomi. Then in the middle of the chapter, we see Boaz being kind to Ruth. And it it almost develops here. And this is how it develops. First and foremost, Ruth is kind to Naomi in providing provision. God's kindness is that Ruth is serving her mother-in-law when her mother-in-law is still grumbling and bitter and mad. and, And what does she do? Naomi, I'll go serve you. I'll I'll go serve you. I'll provide for us. I'm the one who will go out and I'll lay my life on the line today because we kind of have hints throughout this passage, y'all, that if she went to another field, like something bad may happen to her. Not just verbally, but it's almost like she may have been assaulted. And later on, Naomi says, hey, don't go to another field because if you go to another field, it probably won't be as good as this field. You went to a G field and there's some R fields out there. Don't go there. So Ruth says, I'll I'll go do it. And so we see Ruth showing Naomi kindness. She provides. But then the great majority of the chapter is Boaz serving Ruth and showing kindness. And not only with provision, here's food, here's food, here's lunch. By the way, leave more food for her. We just see Boaz just hooking Ruth up left and right. And keep in mind here, there is no romantic interest going on at this point. Nothing. Boaz sees a woman in need, and he meets the need. See a need, meet a need. That's what's going on here. And he shows her kindness, not only with provision, but protection. I've already talked to my young men. They're not going to whistle at you. They're not going to call you names. They're not going to touch you. And you almost feel like... You ever, you ever been in a place where you didn't know somebody in the room, but they were younger than you and more vulnerable than you, and so they didn't know it, but you know it, that you had assumed responsibility for them? You ever been in a situation like that? Be like, dude, if somebody comes at that person, I'm going to Debo them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's over. Like, it's probably not the, the wisest approach, but at the same token, Boaz is saying, we met five seconds ago, you're protected in my field. Now, the kindness here, we should note it, The kindness, we we find the word kindness down in verse 20 that the Lord has shown kindness. It's this very important to the book of Ruth. It's called kesed. It's a Hebrew word kesed, and it literally means loving kindness. It's covenantal love. One commentator said it this way. The word kesed in the Hebrew for kindness 
is, quote, an entire cluster of concepts, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, faithfulness. It's a word that sums up how God treats his people. And you see, at the beginning of chapter two, Ruth is showing this to Naomi. I'm loyal to you. I don't know anybody else in this town. We don't have anything to eat, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to be loyal to you. And then what do we see when Ruth shows up in the field? Boaz says, I'm going to treat you this way. But this is where it comes full circle is that the ultimate kindness that we see at the end of the chapter is what? Naomi's like, wow, God has not done evil to me. God is not angry at me because ultimately the kindness in this chapter is the Lord showing kindness to Naomi. Providing for her through Ruth's work. Protecting her through Boaz's kindness that she's going to be okay, that there's going to be continual food coming back to the house. But ultimately, Naomi, the light bulb goes off and she says, oh wow, God is providential. God has been orchestrating these circumstances. God has been working in such a way. Can I remind you of this this morning? That you may be the instrument of God's kindness and it may happen consciously or unconsciously. God uses his people to show kindness to other people. You get home after leaving that restaurant and you were like, oh snap, I left a 30% tip today. Oh, the world is coming to an end because you can't do math. What you don't realize is that waitress server went back when nobody watched and broke down because that meant a lot to him, even if it was only like 10 extra bucks. Unconscious kindness. Then you see a need and you go meet a need and you know you met the need and God knows you met the need and probably that's probably where it needs to stop about who knows <laughs> that you met the need. But God used you to show kindness. And I think there have been far more 220 moments. Wow, wow, God has not forsaken me. God is at work. God is showing me his kindness. Then, then we realize that God's done through our life. And so we may be the one that is shown kindness to, and then later on in our life, we find ourselves as the one showing kindness. Now, what, what does this lead us to? I want you to see this last aspect of, of the truth. The true and living God is both completely sovereign over us and completely concerned for us. And why do we want to say it this way? Because people that reject the God of Scripture either accuse him of being one or two ways. If God exists then why doesn't he deal with this? And so what they charge God with is, is, is being loving, but not being powerful. God desires to help people. God wants to help the world. God wants to help people in their problems, but he's not power, powerful enough to do it. Or they get to this side and they say, well, you know what? God is completely powerful. Everything in the world belongs to him, but he doesn't care jack squat about me and he's not going to fool with me. And so what do they do? They accuse God of being powerful, but they don't accuse him of being loving. But what's Ruth 2 tell us? It tells us that our God, who is completely sovereign over even where we go to glean in a field, deeply is so deeply concerned about us. We need to hear that this morning. Because oftentimes, 
in the horizontal, just walking through daily life and just seeing how life works, we can feel God doesn't love, God doesn't care. He does love, but he won't intervene. Why doesn't he intervene? Well, he must not be able to or he must not want to. Y'all, it's both. He intervenes when he chooses to. And when he chooses to intervene, he does so because he deeply cares about us. I don't understand how God works all the time. We were hiking in the Himalayas several years back, and we had felt drawn to go to this area, and we had never been there before, and I don't even think the, the brothers in India that were taking us had been there before, and we were eight, 9,000 feet. And obviously, when you go hike, you go hike, not so you can say I hiked, but this was gospel work, so we want to meet people. You got to be able to share with people. Well, there was like nobody. I mean, it was just like, it was like, this was like a couple houses here and a couple houses here. And I had brought two guys from the U.S. on with me. So now I'm like, you know, the guy that wasted everybody's money and time because there's nobody to talk to. And this is a failure. And what are we doing? And it had been going like that for a couple days. And it was just like not a lot of people to talk to. So we saw this ridge and being a couple guys we told the other guy, hey, you, you rest. We'll walk up here and we'll go to this bridge and, or this ridge. And so we walk up on this ridge and we didn't see it at the time. We come around this turn in the path and there's this massive house there. And there's people everywhere. I mean, this is like the back of the boondocks, like back, back, back of the boondock, boondock, boondocks. 9,000 feet. And there's like 40 or 50 people at this house. And we're like, what is going on? So we start talking, and what had happened was kind of the matriarch who had spent her whole life there, she had just recently passed away. And so everybody came from not only in that state, they had come even as like hundreds of miles away. Like they had come from the capital city of New Delhi. They had taken a bus 16 hours and had come to a path and had walked two miles up and walked another mile down a path to get to this back boondock side of a mountain to grieve with their family over their mother's passing. And it should not have been like that. We were able there to love on that family. We stood in front of all of them and Shared John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though someone dies, yet will he live? And I didn't understand at the time what God was doing. Why have you brought me 8,000 miles to waste our time? God, what's the point? No. I've got you in a specific place at a specific time because there's 50 people that need to hear John eleven twenty five 25 at 9,000 feet, three miles off where anybody lives. You don't see it at the time, but you are going to be the instrument of my kindness. Y'all, sometimes we don't understand where God puts us and why he puts us there. And later on, we realize it. just in the meanwhile, we got to trust that he's at work. And we got to trust that while we may not see, he's using us. And let me just speak this to some of you this morning. Allow people to show the kindness of God to you. Allow people to cook a meal for you. Allow somebody to come cut your grass. Uh, allow Some of y'all are like, dude, I'll take anything I can get. Yeah. Sometimes in our pride, though, we can refuse to be served, and so we don't experience God's kindness at that moment. Let, let people serve you with the kindness of God. How do we see Christ here? Because this is how we are ending every message. This is so good. 
Where, where does this take place? This is the fields of Bethlehem. How awesome is that, man? Just a couple generations later, who's going to be a little shepherd boy out in the fields of Bethlehem? The future king of Israel. But ultimately, these same fields, there's going to be shepherds hundreds of years later who were startled one night by angelic announcement. Behold, in the city of David, a Savior has been born, and his name is Christ the Lord. We see while all this stuff's going on, We see while Naomi's in bitterness, on the backdrop of her bitterness and her sin and her despair and charging God, we see God raise up. In him there is strength. Here he comes. And whenever it's dark in your life, just remember, the barley harvest is about to start. Passover's here. Stick with it. Pentecost is coming. The wheat harvest is coming. God's going to send the Spirit. Because this is Bethlehem after all. This is where the Son of God comes. Not only is it the fields of Bethlehem, how good is it that Christ shows us regard when everyone else forsakes us? No one's coming to our aid. No one cares about us. Though my mother and my father may forsake me, the Lord will take me in. When I'm a foreigner, when I'm away, guess who asks, whose who's, who's young man is this? Whose who's young woman is this? Who is this? And Christ notices me. And Christ notices you. But not only that, Christ invites us to eat and to sup with him. Did you notice what Boaz told, told Ruth? You come, you come sit here, you take that bread and you dip it in the wine. That's what Jesus does for us, doesn't he? You come, you feed on me. You fellowship in what I've done for you by my body being broken and my blood being spilled. Man, this is awesome. We have no strength. He has all strength. Everything's dark in our life. He's the light of the world. We're weak. He's strong. We're small. He's great. We're powerless. He's all powerful. It's when it thinks like it's all done. Here comes the one in whom can make us eternally satisfied. Sovereignty, kindness. That's who our God is. That's who our Christ is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the encouragement of the word. Thank you that you are working all things the counsel of your will for your glory. Thank you that what oftentimes in our life is just happenstance and a coincidence is your providence. God, I pray you would, someone's heart this morning, make it full circle to rejoice in the fact that you have not forsaken them, to rejoice in the fact that you are God and you're good and you're kind and you're, you're absolutely in control. Lord, you don't forsake us. I pray for someone in here as a believer that's hurting this morning, God, that just afresh and anew, they'll trust you. God, I pray for those that feel far from grace and far from God and don't know Christ this morning. I pray that they will hear the invitation, come and take of me. Come take my yoke upon you. Come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. Come and believe in me. 
Lord, I pray you would do that in someone's heart today. As we sit in the Lord's presence this morning, I would encourage you and I would, I would call you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, the invitation, just like Boaz invited Ruth, you come, you turn from your sin, you believe in what Christ has done for you. There's no magic prayer that you can pray. It's a heart of repentance. It's turning from your sin and yourself to God and God alone, trusting what Jesus has done. Christian, this morning, you may find yourself just rejected by God. If you know him, he has not forsaken you. Believe that this morning. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and we're going to worship. Justin and I will be down here if you need to talk. We'll be available after the service if you need someone to pray with you or talk through you. We'd love to be able to encourage you and lead you to Christ, talk to you about stuff in your life. Let the Spirit, let the church hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. God, thanks for the word. Work it in our hearts. Accomplish your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.